the one and only Cliff Richard and the Shannon. Hi, David Ghosty Wills here. Welcome back to another episode of the We Say Yeah podcast, an unofficial monthly Cliff Richard and the Shadows fan podcast where we review and discuss every single EP and album released by Cliff and the Shads together or apart in chronological order. Last month, I told you that we made our debut on Apple Podcasts, and someone, I'm not sure who, left us a five-star review, which we're happy to see. And I listen to a lot of podcasts, and the hosts always go on and talk about folks leaving five-star reviews, because evidently this boosts the uh, visibility of the podcast, and you attract more listeners that way. I'm going to refrain from asking you to leave a five-star review, because... I don't know. I mean, that just seems a little presumptuous on my part. I mean, what if you think the show is really only worth four stars or three or two? Well, if it's anything less than two, maybe you should keep that to yourself. All right, I'll do it. Go ahead. Leave a five-star review, would you? Speaking of uh, feedback, I do have some to read for you, both from the Podbean website and the We Say Yeah Facebook page, which y'all should be joining. Ernie Ward writes, finally, Cliff Richard and the Drifters' debut LP gets the credit it deserves. Both episodes of the podcast are extremely interesting and contain so many insights and revelations into the creative process involved. Congratulations to everybody involved. Love and thanks from Ernie in Melbourne, Australia. Thanks so much, Ernie. Mark J. Daniels writes, a most enjoyable and interesting show. Thank you. Tim. Tim Cooper over on Podbean writes, enjoyed this along with your first one. Learned some things about Cliff that I didn't know before. Didn't realize there was a different version of the Cliff LP released in France. Yeah, Mark Cunningham brought that to our attention uh, last time out. And Natalie, this was over in another group actually, but Natalie Jones wrote, nice to see someone taking a critical interest in early Cliff stuff. To my mind, it is his best period. I'm looking forward to hearing about Listen to Cliff and Me and My Shadows and how the different stereo and mono takes are dealt with. Glad to hear the oft-repeated myth, usually from the BBC and Liverpool-based journos, that nothing happened until 1963 is rebuffed as being simply not true. Cliff quite rightly feels aggrieved at this dismissal of their early work. I agree with you, Natalie. It's ridiculous. Thanks so much again for the feedback. You can leave that on the Facebook page, the We Say Yeah podcast page. You can also send an email. It's we say yeah podcast at gmail.com. So this time out, I'm joined by Gurdeep Ladar, one half of the dynamic duo with Justin Gosman, who hosts the outstanding TCB cast, the unofficial Elvis Presley fan podcast. Now, in the first two episodes of this show, we spoke to Vic Rust and Mark Cunningham, who know this music inside and out. But I do want to get some music fans and historians who may be hearing some of this stuff for the very first time. I'm always interested in that fresh perspective. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Gurdip Ladar, who, when it comes to early rock and roll, certainly knows his stuff. And I began by asking Gurdip how TCB cast came to be. I would always listen to podcasts and, um, you know, I have various interests, what have you, um, MMA, sharks, movies, comics. And I was like, 
I want to look up a podcast about Elvis because I know there's podcasts about Beatles and Michael Jackson and a lot of popular singers. So let me look it up. And there was none. There was like an official one, which came out sporadically and it wasn't very good. All they did was promote stuff that's happening in Graceland. I'm like, I want like an in-depth look at his music because that's what I was into. Um, right. And there was nothing to be found. So I was like, okay, I guess there's nothing. And then um, I joined this Reddit board, uh, which is like a, a forum for various topics. And one of those boards is an Elvis board. And I just happened to ask if anybody knows about a Elvis podcast. Maybe I just didn't know. And uh, Justin Gosman, who turned out to be my co-host, said, no, there isn't one. But if you're interested, I'd love to start one. And this is someone I've never met. Um, I kind of knew about him because he did a series on YouTube uh, where he reviewed Elvis albums. Right. And I thought he was very good. And I had commented on some of his posts there. But besides that, I didn't know anything. And after a quick, like, hour-long talk, we're like, yeah, let's do this. So that's where the show started. And I think we were one of the first, along with Jamie K's Jungle Room. I think it was really close, like, who started first. But it was, like, within uh, a days or weeks of each other. But, um, yeah, we were one of the first Elvis podcasts out there. And so far, so good. It's It's started in 2018 january and we're still going strong and that's where i guess we uh, got introduced to you uh, mr david wills yeah a little self-promotion never hurt anybody i'm on episode 148 of tcb cast we had a great discussion about elvis and the quiet comeback of 1966 through 1968 so if you look for tcb cast on apple Podcasts, you'll find it episode 148 so gradeep how did you become aware of Cliff Richard and the Shadows. Well, um, that's kind of goes hand in hand with my Elvis um, uh, collecting and listening. Uh, so my parents, uh, they're immigrants. They came in the 70s. And when they came, my dad came first, and then my uh, mom and siblings came. I was the only one born in Canada. I'm a Canadian, by the way, if anyone didn't know, or they could detect <laughs> it from my voice. But, uh, you know, with a lot of immigrants, you try to assimilate to where you are now. And I guess at that time, Elvis, you know, would be on TV constantly. His movies would be on TV. And my mom got interested in him because she liked his films. Um, a typical 60s Elvis film is, is a lot like a Bollywood film where there's a lot of singing, dancing. Guy right. wins the race. He does something, wins the girl at the end. And everybody, you know, everyone's happy. It, that's really the same formula as Bollywood films back in the day. <laughs> um including the singing and dancing. So she liked him and then he passed away right after. And then a lot, you know, there was, there was inundation of, uh, uh, of lots of Elvis material. They re-released a lot of singles. Uh, he was everywhere. And my parents uh, bought some of his singles. So when I came along, I was listening to this music because it was on. Um, and that's how I got into it. Now, it was on and off for me, but I really got into it when I had to write a report in grade five about uh, a specific singer. So I wrote about Elvis and doing research, I started getting into other 50s acts and 60s acts like Buddy Hope mm -hmm. and um, Eddie Cocker and Gene Vincent, you know, Buddy Knox, all those guys. And that's how I came upon Cliff Richard because I would started buying compilations of these 50s artists, 50, early 60s artists. And strangely, Cliff Richard didn't really come up in those compilations a lot. Like there was those Time Life ones and there's various other ones. And I got the odd Cliff Richard song. And strangely, Living Doll was one of those songs that I listened to um, back in the day. So I knew about him. Also, in reading, like I would 
I was voracious and when it came to reading about 50s early rock and roll and he would come up sometimes but it wasn't like I knew a lot about him I still don't know a great deal about him I just know him just from reading about other artists and about them going to the UK guys like Gene Vincent and, and Eddie Cochran when they went to the UK they would get introduced uh, to people like Cliff Richard or Tommy Steele and what have you but that's that's essentially my introduction to Cliff Richard. Well, I figured that this would be the perfect episode to have you on because there are all sorts of parallels to Elvis Presley's career going on at this time. Obviously, Cliff was very much influenced by Elvis. There's no question about it. You know, even their career arcs and the way fans react to certain eras is kind of similar. You've got fans that love 50s Cliff. But, you know, they're not crazy about the movies Cliff did in the 60s and in the 70s. They're like, oh, he'd sang too many ballads. You know, I'm thinking, hmm, as an Elvis fan, where have I heard that before? But for this particular era, here we have Cliff in his first film in a supporting role, just like Elvis in Love Me Tender. The songs that Cliff sings are all written by one songwriter, in this case, Lionel Bart, who the next year would go on to write Oliver. Uh, in Elvis's case, it was Ken Darby, right, who wrote all of the, with the exception of Love Me Tender, which was a Civil War era song. Yep. Uh, the soundtrack album wasn't really an album. It was an EP because there were only four songs. And there are a few more Elvis connections uh, and comparisons that uh, we'll talk about. I'm going to give you and the audience just a, a quick overview of the film Serious Charge. I think I had referred, uh, when we talked beforehand, I referred to Cliff's role in this as a juvenile delinquent in training. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, the the plot of the film Serious Charge, a local vicar uses his church rectory as a youth club to give the local juvenile delinquents a place to uh, get some direction in life rather than hanging out in coffee bars and jiving to rock music, which in retrospect, doesn't seem like it's all that terrible, you know. Um, They're really not getting up to that much trouble. But there is uh, one terrible uh, kid in the movie, uh, Larry Thompson, played by actor Andrew Ray. Cliff plays Curly, the younger brother of the main juvenile delinquent. He is a despicable teenager, this Larry Thompson. (laughs) He gets one girl pregnant, dumps her, she dies, then he hooks up with the vicar's maid, Um, there's not much for Cliff to do in this other than look sullen and sing his several songs. Sometimes he's singing in the film, just bursting into song. And sometimes the kids are listening to a record on the jukebox and it's Cliff singing. So you have to wonder in this universe, is Cliff already a recording star and they're sitting around listening to his records and sometimes he shows up and he lip syncs to his own records and the same phenomenon happens in Elvis movies too or is it isn't it weird yeah. how this film is similar to Love Me Tender where Elvis plays against other brothers yes you're absolutely right and I there's another <clears throat> yep the main uh, one of the main characters in this and he played Elvis's brother and he has a all he has two other brothers so wow a lot of parallels here a lot of parallels here so there is a, a woman, not necessarily coming between the brothers, is a woman named Hester who seems a little off in this movie. She makes a play for the vicar, and he's just not interested. Um, meanwhile, the vicar confronts Larry Thompson about his evil ways, and Larry stages a scene to make it look like the vicar assaulted him. Hester, this woman who was rejected, sees this, and she's angry at the vicar, so she sides with Larry. Eventually... 
everything is all worked out. And the last scene has the vicar looking at Hester and saying to the effect, you know what, maybe I will go out with you, which seems like a really implausible way to end the movie. I don't think you date someone who tried to frame you, but that's just me. Yeah, very odd. So that's the movie in a nutshell. Cliff in a supporting role. I think in comparison with Love Me Tender, Elvis has a lot more to do. I I think Elvis was further along in his acting abilities. Um, Wow. I mean, he that was his first film, so it's not like he yeah. had a lot of experience. But who knows? I mean, he was voracious when it came to watching um, films um, at the theater. So maybe he just learned by just like osmosis. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll give you a little bit of uh, backstory regarding this EP. And some of this uh, we had talked about on a previous episode before we get to actually going through the, these songs. There's not much here. But... Um, in, in the book Cliff, it's a biography by Patrick Doncaster and Tony Jasper. It's a great book. It's, it's out of print now. And, and Cliff has talked about this, too. Cliff in the Shadows hated the songs in the movie. I, I hate to tell you this, Gurdip. I invited you on the show to talk about a bunch of songs that Cliff didn't like. I don't know. I'm reading into this. <laughs> well, he, you know, he didn't like the fact that studio musicians were playing and not the band. Um, you know, he didn't More like Elvis. <laughs> right. So he wanted his guys to play on it. Now... He had a uh, manager at the time named Tito Burns, who was this flamboyant impresario. He was sort of a celebrity in his own right. And what happened was Ian Samwell, who was previously in The Drifters, which were eventually known as The Shadows, and producer Nori Paramore wrote a song called Livin' Lovin' Doll, specifically to thwart the potential release of the song Living Doll, because Cliff hated it so much. This enraged Lionel Bart, who had a deal to have all of these songs released. So Tito confronted Cliff and said, what's going on here? Cliff said, we decided we're not going to release any of these songs. We don't like them. And Tito Burns basically read him the riot act and said, you will release them because that was the contract. Yeah. So this was sort of released under protest. However, it turned out to be fortuitous because it gave cliff his first number one let's talk about that song living doll got myself a crying talking sleeping walking living doll got to do my best to please her just cause she's a living doll got a roving eye and that is why she satisfies my soul the Serious Charge EP with this song on it was released in May of 1959. The single was released on July 10th. You said this was one of the first songs you heard from Cliff. What are your thoughts on Living Doll as heard in the film and then this single version of Living Doll? Um, so this one, you can totally hear the influence of Elvis or even a rockabilly guys like Eddie Cochran or Buddy Nott. Mm-hmm. Um, strangely, Elvis even has a similar song called Lover Doll. Exactly. But this is a great track. Um, and it, it's no surprise that this was popular stateside as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And as you said, yeah, Cliff didn't want to record it initially. Uh, but I, I think this is a great track. And when I, um, when I first heard this way back in the day, I tried finding like more Cliff Richard stuff, but it really wasn't readily available, at least not in the shops I went to. I would go to an old um, vinyl record store called Neptune Records. 
And they had a couple of Cliff Richard vinyls, but they were way overpriced, like more than a high school student could afford. Um, I had that problem with a lot of Elvis uh, vinyls. Right. Because this was in that state. That was This was that time between where they didn't reissue anything and his stuff that was original was way overpriced. And they were really slow in re-releasing a lot of stuff. But with Cliff Richard, yeah, they didn't have any CDs or tapes. And um, it, and I, if I would go to like new stores, like stores that carried modern stuff, obviously they would have 50s artists, popular artists and Elvis and what have you. But Cliff Richard, they didn't have very much at all. So I tried looking for more of his stuff. I just couldn't find couldn't find it back in the day. So, um, but yeah, this this song though was in one of those compilations. Strangely, that it was included, but uh, I've always liked this song. What did you think of the fast version? Did you have a preference? Did you you like obviously the the single the version, studio? But- yeah, in the the single version. Um, the film version is also really good. Although I, <laughs> it's funny how he's singing in the background while they're having a conversation. <laughs> right. right. Like, well, I kind of want to listen to his version of the song, but it's weird how he's just singing while they're just having a regular conversation and you know basically uh overshadowing him yeah and there's three girls sitting there for the longest time you know and i'm coming at this from an american perspective i had no idea what these three girls were doing at the table um they're hand jiving so i i learned what that was yeah (laughs) I, i thought oh okay um the the initial idea of hand jiving is best as i can uh figure it out uh, kids would do this if they were at a club and it was too crowded and there really wasn't room to dance. Yeah. Um, and what's odd is there's plenty of room in that uh, diner where they're just sitting. And I don't know why they're doing it, but uh, <laughs> but Lionel Bart said that it was the song was inspired by Paper Doll by the Mills Brothers. But I hear Elvis Presley's Lover Doll as an influence. I'm the first time that I saw you How I feel for you, girl of the charms Love a doll, I'm crazy for you Let me rock you in my arms I'm so glad I found you Never thought dollies came full grown I'm gonna tie a ribbon around you Wrap you up and I'll take you home The whole history of pop music is songs that use toys and dolls as metaphors didn't he say he got the idea from a toy ad about a doll that um, yeah there was like a darling doll or something yeah Yeah. Uh, obviously elvis also has teddy bear so you know it's it's there's a couple of songs that are that like this i mean i guess you could take it as far as barbie girl by aqua come on barbie let's go party You know, the reality is pop music is usually aimed at young teenagers or even preteens, so it makes sense. Living Doll goes to number one in the UK. It's Cliff's first number one. And like we said, it was uh, top 30 in the US, but the Shadows having that name, The Drifters, caused problems here in America with our Drifters. (laughs) So The Drifters... The real drifters. <laughs> That's true. They were the first drifters, no question. And uh, for a while, the shadows were known as the four jets here in the U.S. But what can you really say about Living Doll that hasn't already been said a million times over? It's a classic song, and it's stood the test of time. Next up on this EP, we have a song called No Turning Back. I don't want no one over me. I sweet the honey doesn't go with me. I 
Now, you mentioned King Creole before. This arrangement sounds a heck of a lot, like at least the verses anyway, sound a, a lot like King Creole. There's a man in New Orleans, he's a rock and roll, he's a guitar man with a great big soul. He lays down a beat like a ton of cola. He goes by the name of King Creole, you know he's gone, 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 jumping like catfish on a pole. What an oddity this, this one is. Um, I never heard this before, but it gives me shades of like Conway Twitty mixed with yeah. Gene Vincent. Um, you know what? There's um, the vocals remind me of this odd song by Nick Adams, who was a f- actor friend of Elvis's, who did a show called The Rebel, I think, and he does a song called Bull Rider. Now, I don't think I don't know if you've ever heard it, Ghosty. The um, the vocals are very similar. <laughs> um, wow. It's, it's like uh, it's like Nick Adams trying to sing like Elvis, but failing miserably. Like I'm not saying um, um, uh, Cliff is trying to sound like Elvis or what have you, but I don't know why, but it gives me shades of that song called Bull Rider. Maybe check it out when you get a chance. I'm riding you to salute my love to the sound of the cannon and the gun. With a brother fighting brother and a killing one another at Bull Run, the river of Bull Run. But anyway, I don't mind this song, and I like that extended instrumental break. Like I said, you know, these are not songs that are coming from within the group or American covers. And I kind of feel like they're trying to turn these into something better than what they are. But it's enjoyable. I think it's better than the next song, which for me, I think is the weakest of the three vocals. And that's Mad About You, which kind of has this quasi Bo Diddley-esque beat to it. Now I got some ticket off my ticket I'll give you a hit and you fill in the ring of sins I set my eyes on money I don't know, you've made me go, you've made me go You've made me go, oh, mad about you Mad about things you do That's the notes I had. Um, it's not very memorable, but it does give me, like you talked about Willie and the Hand Jive. This reminds me of Johnny Otis's Willie and the Hand Jive. It's oh. just like that song. Um, I don't know. Uh, what it did do was want to make me listen to that song. <laughs> I know a cat named Way Out Willie. He got a cool little chick named Rockin' Millie. I just don't think uh, Richard's vocals fit well with this type of song. Um, he might not be as versatile at this point as Elvis to pull it off. Yeah. But it just it doesn't seem to go with what he's trying to do. I don't know. It wasn't that great to me yeah it sounds labored to me yeah you know of the three it's clear that living doll 
is that's the standout you know, far and away the best and it was bruce welch uh it was his suggestion to slow it down and give it a they called it a country and western arrangement i don't really i don't i guess I don't, it's a i don't hear maybe yeah. rockabilly shades of rockabilly yeah and I think it was also influenced by Ricky Nelson, who pops up as a big influence on Cliff. Hmm. I heard uh, you say that in previous episodes. I never made that connection, but I, I'm I'm thinking you're correct. It's um, yeah, I hear it. I think maybe Living Doll. There's maybe a little bit of influence of like Poor Little Fool. Yeah, uh, yeah. something like that. Those little strums, and then we get to the shadows and producer Nori Paramore on piano with an instrumental, a song called Chinchilla. which is used in the film in an orchestral version. So the shadows, I don't think are performing this song anywhere in the film, but it's used as the theme. Um, It's played several times. This was released by an American group called the X-Rays. The song's written by Randy Starr and Dick Wolf. You know, it's unique. I mean, anyone buying this EP expecting to get some of the score from the film is going to be disappointed or maybe pleasantly surprised. As we mentioned earlier, everything on here is re-recorded by Cliff and the Shads, and these are not the uh, studio cats who did it uh, for the film. I don't know. What's your uh, what's your opinion of Chinchilla? I don't mind it. It's okay. Um, as instrumentals go, I'm not like the biggest fan. I'm, all, I'm always surprised when I look at the Billboard charts and see how many instrumentals did, did chart back in the 50s and early 60s. Like some of those reached number one. And I'm like, really? Like this? But yeah. I guess it was just a different time period. But I'm always surprised at how many instrumentals were released. But I guess that was just the, the time. So, but yeah, I don't mind this. I, it, usually if I come across an instrumental and this is something really spectacular, I'm just going to hit that skip button. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, it's certainly not the norm to uh, be a big fan of instrumental music these days, but there are connoisseurs of instrumental. And I hear from Shadows fans who are like, enough about Cliff. We don't want to hear about Cliff. (laughs) Tell us more about the Shadows. So we'll, we'll get to that. But there you go. That's the Serious Charge EP, those four songs, as we mentioned, and with Living Doll being the best. Now, Living Doll released as a single. We got to have a flip side. Yep. And the flip side is a song written by George Weiss and Aaron Schroeder, I think is his last name. Yep. And this was, as far as I know, originally released in the U.S. by a rockabilly artist who called himself Billy the Kid Hmm. in February of 1959. I'll tell you what Cliff has said about it. Cliff has said that this song was pitched to Elvis. Hmm. And there is a recording of Elvis at home at the piano singing apron strings. According to Cliff, the song was pitched to Elvis, who turned it down. So he recorded it. He actually performed it 
live on the previous album, which is the same situation for two other songs we're going to talk about in just a moment. But in this case, the reason Cliff performed Apron Strings on his debut album was because it was a popular song already in a cover version by Marty Wilde. So audiences would know the song. However, I think Cliff's studio version is a knockout. Let's get to be free At the water and free Let the government be go Oh, I'll never up Well, I need love It's good for my way Cause I wanna be da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
Jet Harris. Evidently, this was inspired by Cliff's hair color, which was jet black at the time. And I said... Elvis, because of Elvis? Yeah. Cliff even said that he would practice like a sneer, you know, to get the lip curl. Yeah. He sounds like he was obsessed here. Well, he said that he didn't want to be like Elvis. He wanted to be Elvis. Oh, okay. (laughs) Anyway, getting back to Jet Black, I said when I spoke to Mark Cunningham about this song that it's kind of a novelty record. Now when I listen to it, it actually sounds like a precursor to a spy movie theme. You know, it's got kind of a James Bondish detective thing happening. Yeah, um, it's another instrumental, besides the occasional jet black chant. <laughs> Unless it's something like Sleepwalk by Johnny and Santo, I'm not really, again, into instrumentals, but it's fine. It's uh, Do you listen, Ghosty, to instrumentals a lot? Uh, in terms of rock music, no. I mean, it's mainly the shadows. That's all I listen to. I mean, I like a lot of jazz. I love big band music. But when it comes to rock music, it's pretty much the shadows, maybe some ventures and some surf stuff. You know, I will say that this is very early shadows. And later on, they would have maybe more of a cinematic quality to their instrumentals. And I think we're seeing the beginnings of something really great here. In fact, I think we hear it on the flip side, Drifton. Yeah, this sounds like something I would hear in Bonanza. I can kind of groove with it. And I like the shouting in there as well. It seems, yeah. you know, yeah, it, it seems sounds like they're having fun. Both of these songs were covered by an American group called The Sandals on the soundtrack to the surfing documentary, uh, The Endless Summer from 1966. Nice. So... I guess they were ahead of their time here, just like the Ventures I mentioned before, both bands starting uh, at the same time, unaware of each other on two different continents. Interesting stuff. Before we wrap up, we have one final uh, number to talk about, if you want to call it that. But uh, I wanted to mention this because Cliff had his guys, the Shadows, and he was very supportive of them having their own career outside of just recording with him. And Elvis had his guys, Scotty, Bill, and DJ, and they also had aspirations of becoming their own entity aside from Elvis. And they were promised a recording session after an Elvis session, right? The Christmas session, the September 27th. I don't know if the colonel placated them and said, yeah, we're going to do this. I don't know how much Elvis would have been involved or in charge of that. I'm I'm not making excuses for him, but it appears that that session was deep-sixed. Exactly. Um, This is one of those parts where I don't really like um, certain things, aspects of Elvis. You you know, they talk about how generous he was and what have you, but 
he really didn't stand up to the colonel or stand up for his guys. Like these are the guys that started with him. And when they're promised a session after not being paid very much at all, um, that kind of was like the last draw for them. And they actually quit on Elvis uh, shortly after that because of just, just how poorly they were treated. And Elvis, like after they recorded that Christmas session, um, you know, they started getting ready and the engineers were like, well, that's it. And then they're like, well, what we were promised. And they're like, take it up with the Colonel. And they looked to Elvis to see, you know, if he could stand up and say something, but he had already gone. He's like, he already slipped out the back. He's like, he went like, I'm out of here. So, I mean, Elvis, I, you know, he wasn't a bad person, but he wasn't willing to stick up when it came to uh, uh, interfering with what the Colonel was doing. So, you know, it's, it's yeah. for me to um, defend him in this. Cause I really can't. It's one of those things where it's disappointing to, to learn that he didn't really treat his original band that well, obviously Scotty and DJ, you know, they, they, they were always welcome. They always had a job, but don't you think they deserve a little more considering like Scotty, especially bill had enough. He had, you know, he quit and he formed his own bill black trio, but right. you would think that the guy who started with him would be entitled to a little bit more. I mean, he was his first manager. He could have taken advantage of him. Obviously he didn't, he was kind of forced into that role. And then he stepped back when the Colonel came around. So I don't know. I, I what do you think about it? Ghosty? Yeah. You know, my feeling on this is I think that Elvis avoided confrontation like the plague. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, some people are, are like that. It's a character flaw. There's no, there's no way around it, you know? And, I think if Elvis had a stronger personality, I think more confident, he confident, yeah. Right, more confident, he would have stood up to the colonel, but as we know, he didn't do that often and every time that he did, he wound up backing down. Yep. And this was so early in his career, I guess the colonel really did have him convinced that his success was due largely to the colonel's efforts. Yeah, he, he thinks he's going to go back to driving a truck if he right anything to upset the colonel. And yeah. So. so this presents kind of an alternate history of what could have happened because obviously Cliff's band becomes very, very successful and they have number ones and Cliff sometimes is, is competing in the charts against his own band. Right. Um, you know, they'll have a number one, he'll be at number two. Sometimes he'll have number one, they'll have a number two. They become that popular, but it shows that it could have worked. Not with the colonel there. He would not with the colonel. <laughs> ever have allowed right. Dottie, Bill, and DJ to have any kind of chart success competing with Elvis? Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. He'd start bleeding from his ears if that happened. <laughs> well, it, but if the colonel was out of the way, yes. it could have it could have worked. It, you could have had Scotty, Bill, and DJ as their own entity, like the Blue Moon Boys yes. or something like that. You know, releasing records and then being Elvis's opening act when he's on tour, and then they play with Elvis. You know, that's what Cliff did. That's so ideal world, my friend. <laughs> right? Because I was getting at like. Elvis came from essentially nothing. He was like the poorest of the poor. So the the colonel, you know, offering all this and showing him the, the, the heights of, of fame and fortune, he, of course he's going to be more scared uh, to lose that and going back to where he was, right, than an average Joe. So who knows? But still, it, it, it is character, though. It, that it, It's your own personality also. So yeah. obviously Cliff, you know, felt like, 
as he's going up, he should bring up his his friends, his his band as well. Yeah, and also it helps that Cliff had, uh, instead of one manager who was overseeing everything, Cliff had like a series of guys who were coming in and out. There's like five or six managers in the period of like two years. Sometimes his father was involved and, you know, it, 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 it took a while for him to get like that perfect manager who's going to stay out of the music side of things and just focus on getting Cliff more and more success in movies and things like that. So... I think we've covered this time period pretty well. We're almost done, but it should be noted that Living Doll was a number one record twice. The original record in 1959, and then years later, in 1986, as part of a charity single with the British comedy troupe, The Young Ones. Got myself a crying, talking, sleeping, walking, living doll. doll. To do my best to please her just cause she's a living doll. Living doll. I got a rolling eye and that is why she satisfies my soul. My soul. My soul. My soul. Yes, Lydia, it's Are you familiar with that television program? The Not at all. Are you? Okay. Or were I am, yeah. It was on MTV in the 80s, and I used to watch it. They reran it for a little while on MTV. We didn't get MTV here, my friend. <laughs> oh. Much music. So you're coming into this completely uh, free of any right. prior knowledge of the young ones. So no. my goodness, what did you think of, because I sent you that video of yes. the single version. So what did you think of that? <laughs> so this is a charity single, which is fine. Um, right. I don't know about this. Like, uh, maybe it's just me. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, is this supposed to be funny? Get it at all. Like, Cliff's vocals are great like he sounds as good as he did back then obviously i prefer the original more but sure like these young ones they're supposed to be funny like they're just annoying to me i was just <laughs> head listening to this like you're ruining the song for me like what and then i was like ghosty what i was getting mad at you ghosty i was like why did you why, why did you send me this you're ruining the original song for me so Cliff's expression in the video when they were singing along kind of mirrored your own expression. Yeah, that was my expression. <laughs> totally. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> what do you think of this? Well, I think, you know, the first thing I think about is uh, just how utterly immaculate Cliff's hair is in the video. I mean, that is a perfect, <laughs> I, I can't even explain that hair. It's just like the perfect of uh, <laughs> yeah whatever the, the the 50s rocker who's grown older and has that kind of you know that's Nelson like Con- kind of had that didn't he yeah and conway twitty at one point too yeah they was kind of going around you know maybe had elvis lived you know we, we would have seen that on him too yeah. um i liked it because i've watched the show and the joke on the show the young ones is that rick played by rick mayall was like a punk rocker guy who worshipped cliff like they refer to cliff controversially i suppose as the total and utter king of rock and roll at the beginning of uh, you know i can imagine elvis fans everywhere throwing over tables and knocking over chairs you know hearing that i will say though i will say i do wish that there was a version of that without them on it yeah without the young ones on it because 
it's a nice version and you've got Hank Marvin there playing the guitar solo. There's like a little reveal. So there he is from the shadows. He's playing his signature solo on that song. And uh, it's a nice version. Cliff yeah, it's would... a nice updated version. It would have been yeah. great to hear without these idiots like ruining <laughs> it. So, I don't know. It's just yeah. probably me. Like '86, I probably wouldn't have even watched it. I would have been, I would have been like nine years old, and I, I this would not have been up my alley. <laughs> yeah, this is this is something that probably will irritate you more every time Cliff performs "Living Doll," which he does at every concert. I mean, he, he kind of has to. The audience will chant the young one's parts. Oh, my God. So the whole crowd will go, get down, and stuff like that while Cliff is singing. You, if you were to go to a show, I you would be the one guy with a <laughs> standing up. <laughs> right. I'd be tired of giving everyone dirty looks. <laughs> right. You'd be standing up in the audience going, would you keep it down, people? <laughs> Well, Gurdeep, this has been great. I've really enjoyed. Oh, this has been uh, awesome. I'm glad, Ghostly, that you started this Cliff Richard uh, podcast. I wish more people would start podcasts of other artists. Like, where's the Eddie Cochran podcast or yeah. Drifters, the real Drifters podcast? Right. A doo-wop podcast. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. I hope people take, you know, a page out of uh, our book and your book and do podcasts about these artists that people forget. Thanks so much for listening, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation, and we'll be back next month as we continue our chronological trawl through uh, <laughs> through the Cliff Richard and the Shadows catalog. Trawl is not the right word. It makes it sound like it's a burden. It's not a burden. It's a joy. And I hope you'll be back next month. In the meantime, the We Say Yeah podcast Facebook page, we say yeah podcast at gmail.com. We're over on Podbean, also now up on Mixcloud. So there's plenty of ways for you to hear the same shows over and over and over again until we make new ones. Until next time, be safe and be well. We say yeah. We say yeah. We say yeah.